0: Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Real Talk. It's Lucas here, and I hope that today's episode informs and inspires you to have your own real conversations. As always, today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at TriVan, maker of trucks, trailers, and enclosure buildings tailored to your needs. Be sure to check them out at TriVan.com. A huge thanks to them for sponsoring the show and making it possible. One other quick note before we get into today's episode is that if you are willing and able, if you could leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on any of the podcast networks or platforms that allow for it, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that will be much appreciated as it helps get the word out there and lets people know what we're all about. So with that in mind, on to the episode.
1: Hey,
2: everybody. Welcome to another Real Talk Roundup episode, the number five Real Talk Roundup. Today, uh, of course, is myself as host, Lucas Holfleur. Tyler is over there in the other part of the screen. And then below us here is uh, John Deitra, our piece editor. So we have a uh, a good roundup coming your way. We're going to be reviewing three episodes, of course, episode 70, Why Should We Baptize Babies with Reverend James Zekfeld. Tyler did that interview. And then episode 71, Faithfulness in Public Life with Al Sebring, Uh, myself doing that interview. And then finally, episode 72, How in the World Did We Get Here with Reverend uh, Jim Wittevater. So uh, three great episodes. And then finally, at the back end, so stay tuned, stick around for this. John's going to give you uh, his top five recommendation for books in terms of graduation gifts. So it's that time of the the year. This will be coming to you on Monday very soon so uh stay tuned for that at the end of the episode but first off uh yeah thanks for being here boys how's uh how's it going tyler the west
3: good uh yeah after a short trip to see you back in ontario it's good to be here back Mm -hmm. back in calgary it was you know where it's mostly sunny but it's raining today so okay yeah Yeah, probably
2: can't complain a little bit of rain's good and uh john's out in the (laughs) west coast there how's things in, in john's world Yes, uh, bright and sunny again. So you know, same old, same old. Wonderful. All right. So we'll get into episode seventy there first about uh, baptizing babies. Uh, so Ty, you interviewed uh, Reverend about on this. Um, then we'll go to you for for some of your thoughts. Any any points that stood out to you uh, from this from this episode?
3: Ah, uh, yeah. Other than we should have hit record like half an hour ago because we were chatting with this before we started recording, but. Um. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's how it always goes i guess um yeah it was it, i found it to be i mean i find every episode to be interesting that's why i say interesting so much um yeah it's it's something that i've been kind of thinking about um when we were chatting about earlier about profession of faith about infant baptism versus adult baptism or cradle baptism adults only baptism i guess um and we kind of do do both um So, um, yeah, I know, John, you were, you were saying something about like the, uh, like why do we do profession of faith when we do it? Um, and then why do we baptize babies, but then have adults who join the church, professor faith prior to baptism. Um, so there's kind of a dichotomy. It seems like there is about, about, you know, how much faith should one have when they're baptized? Um. And that's uh, yeah, definitely one of the questions I had still coming out of that episode. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if either of you guys have like thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think it comes down to the, we don't baptize people who don't want to be here. So if, you, if you're if shaking your fist at God, um, then, yeah, we're not going to baptize you. And that's the difference between um, just the adult. They make the profession of faith. They say, um, I love the Lord. Please may I be baptized? Whereas the baby is is ours, and we're presenting the baby um, to be brought into God's people, and the baby is not um, in a state where where it's making a choice one way or the other. It's it's part of our family. But when you are old enough to make that choice, then then we know that it would be, you know, um, I think the Mormons do baptisms for the dead. We're not going around forcing people to get baptized. Hmm. So we we are credo and pado, just depends what age.
3: Yeah, right. We're also not running to like the hospital to baptize kids because we believe they're saved through it, or, um, yeah. I think which is I think we're on point with that, um, as opposed to some other denominations. I think we touched on that in the episode too.
1: Right, because we we know the character of God. We know this isn't uh, like uh, it's it, he it, he's. Showing love to our children in where they've been born into the into the people that they've been born with. It's a privileged position. And so we're not uh we're not worried about that. Um and at the same time, we do want to grab hold of God's promises. So yeah, we're very happy to have them baptized quickly, but not superstitiously.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really uh for me like reinforced the uh, <clears throat> the importance of the sacraments and then particularly baptism too. Uh you know it's such a there's so much depth to that topic and there is such a spectrum of how it's viewed and practiced across uh christianity at large that uh yeah it's just an important topic to get a handle on and i felt uh I, felt I definitely learned a few things from that episode but also i think uh further study would be good too i think there's just a lot more to learn and uh to walk down a few different roads in terms of yeah what do what do we mean by professional faith uh is there a, a certain age we should be doing that at? How do we look at that as it relates to the covenant and to baptism? Um, definitely some interesting roads to, to still go down.
3: Uh, yeah, on this that topic. leads right into like Lord's Supper too, right? Which, of, you know, we're hoping to do that episode too. I mean, this has been this series on the marks of a true church, which I, you know, touted as a series has been, uh, you know, probably four months in the making now, but it's, uh, yeah, I think this, the, the discussion of the, the profession of faith, the timing of profession of faith, uh, the requirement for that for things like the Lord's Supper too, um, is is really curious to me. Like I I don't really understand exactly where we've been in history on that. But then like what are the things we should be thinking through when we're thinking about, you know, when and how to guard the table and stuff like that. Um, doesn't all all play into baptism, but yeah. The other thing to me was the um, I mean hopefully more in the Lord's Supper episode too, but um, the baptism, um, a little bit too, the symbolism of it, do we, uh, the feeling of the, the sacraments, did that, does that really come through in our, in our church or should it, or is it a knowledge sign and seal, um, but doesn't, do we have this like, is there a, a feeling sort of aspect to this, an emotional, um, like they're supposed, to, the sacraments are supposed to assist us and in, in, in strengthen our faith, but do we, is that something that you're supposed to feel? Or something that you're supposed to really like uh, embody. It's it's something that like other denominations would really stress or really like they would understand it different. So it's something also I'm really curious about.
1: Yeah, I found that I uh, felt other other people's baptism a lot more powerfully once I had kids, because mm-hmm. um, to, 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 I remembered it every time. I remembered my children's baptism every time I saw somebody else being baptized. So, um, yeah, I get, I get clamped every time I see somebody getting baptized. So it's, it's definitely yeah that's, uh,
3: huh, that's true. Actually, I, I, I've experienced the same thing. Definitely see, I see the parents up there, especially first time parents that, you know, well, when they have their first child baptized, really, like, it really hits you. Like, wow. Like this is, I mean, yeah, yeah mostly after you've made the promises yourself, thinking about what that promise really means and knowing that it's not just like an easy road.
1: Right. Lord. Um, thank you that you're doing this because, uh, I I'm going to need a lot of help. So yeah, yeah very much.
2: Yeah. Um, as a first time parent who just had to do that, I would agree. It's, uh, you, I just, I obviously knew what it was and I learned about it and thought about it a bit, but it hits, it hits home once you're the one up there. Like, okay, this is, I have to make a promise here. This is,
3: quite daunting actually but well you know in the danger of beating this to death but do we feel that when we like do we feel that when we think about our baptism that's more what i'm what i think like i see it and i feel it as a parent because it's a responsibility placed on you but then do you feel the promises like the promises that are made to your kids you're like yeah thanks lord i don't have to like, do this like i'm just a tool here um but do we think about that when it applies to us? And then how do we view that in, in our life? Like, I'm baptized, therefore I feel, like, not necessarily I feel like this every day, but like, it's not like it's all fuzzy. But like, do you, is there something real to that?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, there's so many things that can get in the way in life in our day to day that, yeah, there's a lot of times where we're taking things for granted. I, I don't know if I think about my baptism specifically but I do think about being in God's church and and just the blessing of of that and I forget about it a lot too um but yeah, maybe when we're in the mix with the world a little bit more then you just start understanding how how incredibly blessed to be uh with people who love the Lord as well uh so yeah baptism is the entryway you know like you're in God's people, so then is it the baptism moment that you think about, or just being with God's people?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the promises you have. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's, uh, yeah, we could probably go on on that for, for longer, but uh, I think we'll wrap it there. Lots to learn still, but we definitely did learn a few things from the episode. So appreciate that. Can I,
1: can I, can I just say one last thing? <laughs> sure. The big thing when I was growing up was just uh, Baptist friends and uh the, the one thing i found very very helpful uh on baptism was this idea of god always giving us more and so when it came to uh whether baptism was for adults or children it, well god was looking out for the children in the old testament why would he not be doing so in the new and and it was it's always more god's always given us more and and that idea um I found a a pretty convicting and pretty clarifying thought. Um, So it, it, it troubled me for a time does not trouble me at all now. Well said.
2: Yes, I agree. All right. So we'll move on to episode 71 there faithfulness in public life with Al Sebring. Um, So I got to do this one. This was, this was a pretty fun one. Pretty easy, honestly, because Al uh, loves to just sit back and and blast out the stories and he's got a lot of great stories to tell. He's a, fantastic storyteller so yeah I a, don't know
3: how you score an uh uh interview with somebody who's been in radio his whole life and yeah. the guy lives in Alberta I yeah like, true <laughs> should have called dibs on that one buddy but
1: yeah. uh yeah
2: that <laughs> was, was a lot of fun uh but yeah I, I liked his story just a cool story about uh Charles and Diana and the fact that he bumped into them and in the secret service almost uh you know, did away with him on that. It was, uh, it was kind of a funny little story he told. But uh, I don't know. Two, two takeaways I had from that. One being about uh, leadership and relationships, uh, and just the fact that, yeah, just being a, a relational person, putting the people before the politics, and, and just meeting people where they are and trying to find common ground and working together. I thought uh, those were some good lessons to to pull in terms of leadership, which applies in pretty much any position, honestly. Um, and then also I thought, uh, just the impact you can make on a municipal level, uh, yeah, it's just encouraging to see. It seems like small potatoes sometimes maybe compared to like what the feds are doing or the province, uh, the provincial level, but it's, uh, it's important work and, uh, and people have to do it. And I would encourage more, uh, more of our audience, more of our former Christians to, to get involved because, uh, yeah, you can, you can do it. It's actually not that hard to get in, it's just a little bit of organizing and, and what, a little bit of hard work knocking doors. Um, but yeah, just keep getting out there in community and building relationships. That was kind of my two takeaways. Uh, John, what were your, uh, what were your thoughts? So. Yeah. He,
1: he also spoke to media bias and, and it was kind of a little bit related to, to, um, seeking common ground and just the idea that back when he was doing this, uh, years back, there was an idea that you could just be fair and that he did, he was finding that that wasn't happening anymore, <laughs> that, that the media was getting more and more strident. And I would say that that's true, too, with trying to find common ground is um, I think those are all predicated finding being fair, being um, unbiased and finding common ground are predicated on the fact that we used to have at least some common ground of a Christian heritage. And so where do you go when you can get fired for um, not using somebody's preferred pronouns, but to use them is to deny your Lord? To die, that he made you male and female. He made us male and female. Um, I I went to the World Journalism Institute this past week uh, down here in the United States, and it's a group trying to teach uh, young people how to be Christian journalists. I went to this, took this course uh, 20 years ago. This time I just kind of went as an observer. But 20 years ago, when I went, they were trying to make us ready to go into secular newsrooms. And this time around, there's just a different tone because these kids asked, uh, "What if you get full to do a profile of the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, and his husband um, and their surrogate child? Uh, what you know? That's going to be a puff piece. It's going to be a normalization. There's no way around it. It's either going to be laudatory, or it's going to be nothing at all." So what do you do if you get assigned that? Well, um, they, they were having a hard time with that because you don't do it, you're gonna get fired. Um, one of the instructors had a helpful thought in a, in a different direction. He told a story of 20 years ago, um, a World Journalism Institute student interning at a major paper and being asked to do a, cover a gay pride parade and the, the student refused. And she spent the rest of her internship uh, answering the phone in the classified ads. Uh, His point was, it's better to get fired for something you do than something you don't do. So he said, I would go do it. I mean, frankly, it would be a Christian service to go back 20 years ago and have covered what really happens at a gay pride parade because they were covering it up. They weren't actually sharing that. Now, if you really let them know what's happening, you probably get fired um but then at least you had your go and you, you got fired for reason but it is a really different environment these days uh and and it's I, I don't know if there's room in the major papers now for for christians at all there's lots of room in all sorts of smaller papers all over all over canada even um but that's the thing also with the common ground um can you be relational with somebody who will be offended if you don't uh, call them. They uh, there's so many trigger points now for, for, for the other side. Um, I was still pulling it off. He's a very personable uh, person. And so I'm not saying, you know, just go in there and be strident, but the reason we had common ground and the reason that we had this idea of trying to be fair um, was because we had a, we had a definition of fair um y- even as we tried to say uh, don't be biased nobody would nobody would seek out the other side of a pedophile story right you you, you would know that you're not that's not fair that's stupid yeah. right so you've limits um while well, the other right. sides recognize that too except they think the christian the christian side is stupid yeah. so um <laughs>
2: I, I yeah. see what you're saying, and it is a valid point. But I, I do think it just it heightens the need for for leadership, in those qualities, and there there are still there is still common ground to be had. It is certainly shrinking, and it's harder and harder. But we are still all human beings at the end of the day, and I think it's a lot harder to get uh, mad at someone, go mad at someone, for pronoun misuse or whatever, or pick your pick your sin of the day in terms of the the, the, the uh, progressive left. It's a lot harder to get mad at someone for that if you have a relationship with them already. So if you are able to form that on things we have common ground on, there's it's harder to find non-political things like ever sports or anything like that. It's just it's all kind of become politicized, which is part of the Marxist kind of move on on these things. But there I think there is still a way to do that. It just is much more challenging nowadays. And those that are able to pull it off will still be able to have some sort of impact because. The alternative is is yeah everyone gets fired and, and there there is zero influence there and there is there is no 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 light in these places and how, how could we share the gospel or have any sort of impact that way uh,
1: i would say that the you, you can get fired and then you can come you know start off your own media network nowadays on on some you know al had this idea of having a a, a daily aggregator of all the great news articles. Yeah, you know what? And he could—he seemed like he could have run it for a hundred thousand bucks. So maybe that's something we need. Maybe that's maybe that's something RP should get into. Um. So there, there's an option. Um, I'm not, I'm not against common ground, but when I see Christians generally seeking common ground, it means we're gonna go hang out with the conservative homosexuals at Daily Wire. And then we're not going to talk about God at all. And we'll just talk about conservatism. You know, we'll, we'll say, oh, those crazy transsexuals. And and the, and the conservative homosexual guy will say it too. Yeah, okay. But did we bring clarity and light? Hey, buddy, we both like C.S. Lewis. But C.S. Lewis said what you're doing is sinful and you need to be told. You know, we don't actually have common ground. We just have a common enemy. Um so, it just seems every time the Christians seek common ground, it's to the it's to the quieting, it's to the muting of specifically Christian um explanations, which the world is in crying need of. God made us male and female. how How desperately does the world need to hear that? you know mm-hmm. and and it's just not even being said.
2: I agree. I agree. I think it. you have to kind of delineate between uh, kind of the, the space that you're in. So the media space is challenging to do that in, especially publicly like, front facing on camera, that type of thing. I mean, who knows what conversations are had behind closed doors, but I agree. Yeah. That if, if it's not working out for you at a major major publication or whatnot, then go start your own and, and be that voice, uh, voice of the wilderness, so to speak.
3: Yeah, Yeah, that's what I I wonder. How much of it? How much of it is common ground in today's media landscape, or and how much of it's, you know, admitting we don't have common ground and going to do it yourself, or like he's speaking about the changes too. Like, I mean, Al Al spoke about um, going into a newsroom and being told by a local McDonald's that they were going to pull all their funding if you didn't, you know, if you ran a story, and that was just like a non-starter for everybody except for the management who saw the dollars and everyone left like everyone quit. That's just not, it doesn't happen anymore. But I think people just like considering people are leaving these media organizations and doing it themselves. And I mean, there's a lot of different models and, you know, opinions on how to do that. But I think that there's a, there's a big shift happening in that, that landscape. And, you know, a guy like Al can probably get away with it still. Cause he's, you know, you know, maybe part of the old guard, but you know, young guys coming up, like, how do you breaking into that is, yeah, it's impossible pretty well. So like you gotta, you gotta just work for RP. That's the bottom line, right? Yeah.
1: Work for RP. (laughs) Maybe you can get in at daily wire. Maybe you can get in post mail. Um, there, there are these other options, but we might have to create our own, uh, one of the, one of the instructors at this world journalism Institute, uh, Reference John Stone Street. He he talked about how we need a theology of getting fired. Like we need young guys who are are um, ambitious and uh, you know particularly before you get married, it's a hit. It's a hit to get fired any time, but it's not the same hit. And so just to tread where angels fear fear to go. And and why are you going this? You're going this to go out in a blaze of glory um, you're not going out to be stupid. So you, you don't go where the door's just shut, but you're willing to go to Hollywood. You're willing to go to daily wire. You're willing to go to these other places and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, then you also know, Oh, this, this is a hill I'm willing to die on. I'm not using pronouns. I'm not using your pronouns. Fire me. Um, so we, we need a little bit of backbone on that. I agree.
2: I agree. I think, I guess in my mind, I was thinking more, uh, less, although to the topic, yeah, media for sure. But I was thinking more of his role in politics. I think a lot of that, what he described, you can get done, especially especially on a municipal level. Uh, it's very relational. And I think uh, it's easy to, to, You, it's all about like uh, positioning your enemy in politics, right? But I think off camera and and away from the the bright lights, building those relationships can actually help get real things uh, done and and useful, uh, God-glorifying initiatives and policies passed and and move forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll just say behind the scenes, I'm always coming off as a little bit more strident than I really am. Um, Like I've worked with liberals to um, stymie the really crazy conservative candidate thing things like that so there there are opportunities and it does come with being willing to listen being willing to talk
3: yeah al al didn't um, encourage people to get into uh, media as such but he did he did really discourage people from getting into um getting into politics um, which is, yeah, I think that that's what you're talking about. It's like the, the difference, the back end, like, you know, a lot of things in politics happen not from the camera.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah. The the menial space is, is tough, but I think, uh, like I say, locally, you can definitely make an impact that way. Um, but yeah, I think uh, those are kind of my takeaways. Are we, are we good, John? Ty, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. So we'll move on to third episode then. Uh, of the three, I mean, I don't always like pick favorites, but this was maybe my favorite of the three. It was it was a ton of fun. It's just a great topic. Who doesn't love talking about conspiracy theories, and especially uh, if there's actually some meat to it and it's uh, not so much theory as realism. Um, with uh, yeah, just a, a great biblical lens to talk with this issue. How in the world did we get here with Reverend Jim Whitavane? Um Yeah, I uh, I got lots of thoughts, but you know what? I'll throw it over to uh, to John to start us off. This.
1: Yeah, I, the, I love um, Reverend Whitfield's book. Um, I, I think it's one of these must reads. Everybody should go out and get a copy. I think it's also a book that many people might be, you know, a quarter of the way through and think that it's a bit crazy, that it just can't be true, that he's exaggerating, that he's that he is spinning some wild conspiracy theory. And it's just he's not. Um he, He's not saying there's some brilliant person behind the scenes that's that's moving all the chess pieces, but that there are a whole bunch of organizations that are similarly arrogant. They all think that they know best and that God doesn't. And if they're going to implement their their different views of what utopia is, it's different for each of them. But what unites them is that they all think uh, they all need power to implement them. And what better way to get power than the government? So they all the the, the universal thing is they all believe in bigger government because um, those are the levers of power. So yeah, I, I, I'm I'm always worried people are just going to get the book and just stop reading. No, you got to get all the way through. It, it's uh, it'll open your eyes. Totally, totally. Ty.
3: Uh, yeah, no, I I. Uh... There, there's a couple things that, that he mentioned. I mean, I didn't actually get the a chance to read the book, which now I realized there wasn't at the end of this whole episode. I realized there was an audio version, which makes me, you know, going to get that and just listen to that right away. Um, yeah. I, there, Yeah. A couple things. Like the, the one thing was like the elites at the top, it doesn't really matter who they are. They all seem to be like, you know, in the same world, which kind of makes sense. If you think about it, even thinking about what Al was saying, like, I mean, Al wasn't one of the elites, right? But, like, you, you do get to know these people on a way, like, on a level where you're working together. So there's a certain amount of, like, cooperation and, um, yeah, like, stuff that goes on behind the scenes where you're having dinners with whoever. And, like, you have relationships with people beyond what everyone in the public sees, all these lay people like us. So that's that was interesting to me Al, on the one hand, and it's hard to really quantify the impact of that necessarily although i'm sure there's like lots of conspiracy theories that you know these people are all conniving in the background but the one thing that kind of stuck out to me was and it kind of plays into Al sebring's world too was um the siloing like and we talked about we just talked about media and like how you know maybe the solution is go do it yourself and you know have a conservative media source right we can have a a way to you know, bring all these media outlets together so that conservative people have a place to go to get real news. Um, But Jim was speaking a little bit about, like, um, a defense against propaganda. Like, how do you keep yourself from being influenced by these, these you know, nefarious characters and, and like, forces? And it's tough because in the social media age that we live in, everyone... Like algorithms are siloing us into camps, and it's not that, like it's not like if you're in the right silo, it's good. Like, which I which I always you know I always kind of thought it was like, well, as long as you get down the right silo, like this is the Christian silo, so go down there and you'll look. Like, eventually, that doesn't lead you in a good place. Like, because you you do need to hear things from other people um, that even you disagree with you know, in order to form like a really, an actually, you know, critical thinking mind. Otherwise you just, you regurgitate things that you hear in your little social media silo and how you consume news and stuff like that. Like I find over my life, like every two, three years, I I'm changing my habits in that way. Like I'll have Instagram for a little bit and I just like delete it. Cause it's just like, no, I can't handle this anymore. And I go to like do something else and. I mean, I don't know, that's maybe not the solution, but it's just the way to get away, disrupt that kind of, um, yeah, silo where eventually you get to be, you know, maybe you get led down a path to where maybe you didn't actually want to be or your mind, you know, gets convinced of stuff that maybe you wouldn't have been convinced of if you were consuming content differently, which is, it's you know, not a, it's not a problem that they had five, 10 years ago, like yeah,
2: we're we're so connected nowadays, like the most connected we've ever been. But at the same time, we're the most lonely and the most just, yeah, the most alone, and and also not connected in, in a real sense for a lot of people too, who live a lot of their lives online well, that, and, and whatnot.
3: Yes, sorry, no, to cut you off. That's exactly what Jim was saying. Like he he said, like you're it's kind of we talked about express, expressive individualism a lot too on this podcast. But like in the individualistic culture that we're being like it's being promoted and we're being encouraged to adopt is actually our own downfall we're We're turning into individuals living in uh like a a virtual world like online and um so you have your own feed, you have your own things that come at you personally, and then you're encouraged to express yourself, be yourself, you know your truth, your experience but then. Jim was saying, like, you really need a family to bounce things off of and a church community to bounce things off of. And if you lose those things, you really just become an individual who's plugged into the government or plugged into big tech or plugged into whoever. Like they can feed you whatever. And it's it's hard to keep that critical, mi- critical mind, like,
2: totally. like
3: so you're not just an individual, which is really weird. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We, we've melted away or, or removed all the media institutions That we're in the levels between the individual and ultimately, I guess, the government. Really, right? Like, not many people go to church or or participate in organized religion. Uh, There's very, there's less and less involvement in uh, local social clubs and whatnot. Um, And the family structures, obviously, like that's there's been a war in the family for for decades now, and all those structures have been weakened greatly. And not to mention the rise of uh, of all these tech giants, whatnot, now too it's so easy to reach the individual uh we're just yeah we are sheep sheep yeah we kind of are sheep honestly or at least prime for the slaughter in terms of propaganda it's uh i don't know he he, the point that struck out with me is uh it was later in the episode we were talking about like family size and whatnot and how um you know like if it if it rains the world trips in the church sort of thing and yes okay obviously the world is having less and less kids today but we still have pretty decent-sized families, at least in our, our Dutch reform circles, let's say. Um, but then I, I said something along the lines of like, well, yeah, you know, it's quality of life or something. If you have like, whatever, you gotta, you gotta balance that. And he, and he was like, well, you know, what defines quality of life? And I was like, Huh, oh, fair enough. Yeah. It might mean, you know, you can't do as many fun things. You have less money, but like, you know, why not have an extra couple of kids if you can sort of thing. And it's just, uh, it, it put a little like a pebble in my shoe, at least like, I'd like to have lots of kids, but like, yeah, I don't know, four to six, who knows, whatever, see what the good Lord gives us. But it just made me think like, yeah, we, I think we've, it just, if it rains in the world, it trips in the church and this, this mindset can just, just sneak in or you, you want to have your cake and eat it too. You want to have a bit of that prosperity and what, and maybe you can get both. Well, you got to be careful which which idols you're putting uh, front and center because they can so easily uh, sneak in.
1: Yeah, because that's that's the key is how do you how do you see through the propaganda? Well, you test it. You got to test it against God's word. And so family size. Yeah. Um, As you say, it rains outside. It drips in the church. So, uh, you know, in the in the world, one kid is your family. Oh, so then we have three we have a big family. I mean, seriously, we're shopping for a car and, um, there's not a lot of options between like four person car and 15 person passenger van. Um, and, and it's like, why is that? Well, because four kids. That's just, why would you, you know, two, two kids in the back and two parents in the front. Why would you want more than four in your car? Uh, so that does impact us and then what comes is we have a certain sort of self-censorship that that shuts us down as well now you know there's all sorts of reasons to be sensitive when you talk about families Uh, you know there should be more 15 passenger vans in, in our church parking lots okay but what about somebody who's uh infertile and is struggling with that and feels you know very uh impacted by that yeah that's true. That's that's a consideration, and we still need it to be preached off the children off the pulpit because God said it. The children are a blessing. So a lot of the a lot of the answer to this propaganda and these silos is to have clarity on what God actually says. Um, it's not just even a recent thing that uh, we get all uh, flummoxed up. We used to do movie nights with college-age uh, guys, uh, and we did one from with people from both sides of the border, so Canadians and Americans, and we did this one on gun control. And you know what? Right down the line, all the Christians north of the border thought guns were abhorrent and evil. All the ones south of the border thought guns were fine, and of course you would have one. You want to defend yourself. Well, where somebody's maybe maybe one side's right. But they can't both be right, and they're both holding to the Bible, and that it was without, you know, it was to a man and to a woman, um, the way that this divided. So we got impacted by the country we're in, not, not the God that we're serving. So it happened long ago. It's happening now. we got to test these things, and, and we're in the community that we can. We can talk to pastors. We can talk to mentors. We can talk to—we can send questions, real talk. We can. We can do these things.
2: Yeah, it it just reinforces for me, like, because we talked about a lot in that episode, how how much of this is just straight up spiritual warfare, and the importance of, of going to church every Sunday and listening to solid preaching of the Word and and and, and exegesis, whatnot. Like, it's if we don't have that connection, uh, and many in the world don't, it's so easy to lose your way. And yeah, like you say, John, just to to go back and, and test these things against Scripture is, is the only way to to keep your head on straight and to, uh, yeah, it's just, it's the only way to to keep saying these days. It's, it's crazy. Just, I mean, I'm sure it's always kind of been the case and it just just seems maybe a bit extra today with the ability we have to be so global and so connected, but, uh, yeah, it's a great book. And I, I do like some of the suggestions he has towards the end and whatnot in terms of practical things you can do. Uh, he had a list of, oh, I don't know how long it was, over 15, I think at least. Uh, just practical ways you can you can take care of your family, raise your family and to uh, to help protect your kids from, from propaganda and make them critical thinkers. So people can definitely buy a book and, and check those out. Um, you guys did get to
3: transhumanism. That was like oh, I was excited yeah. about that. I was like, yeah is, I don't know much about it, but I know it's like, you know, it's the next real thing. So yeah, just yeah, uploading your
2: soul and, and your consciousness online. At least that's it's kind of the idea and to take it the next step in the evolution of man put us put us online and whatnot where he Kurzweil is that
3: is that part of i mean yeah we're probably dragging this one on too but and you like to keep these to 45 minutes but is there is there an element to this like this conversation with like conspiracy theories or like you know what, he's a conspiracy realist he said jim so like is there is there an element to this where we're not taking it serious if we can't see the end game like that's to me it's always like okay but where's this all going like we talk about like the world whatever like all these world organizations world health organization over the past few years um you know wh- whatever crazy german guy uh what's his face klaus schwab yeah. yeah so yeah these guys but like if I, if I can't see where he's going with it do i really care that's kind of my always my thought like can they really imagine the world that they're pushing toward or does it matter? Like, or does this just all, is it just a spiritual war that they don't even really know that they're like the devil's working in them in some kind of way that is leading somewhere, but we don't really, no one really knows. Like, well, I think we got into that more in the beginning too, but it's, it's, uh,
2: it's man putting himself up in the place of God. It's, it's ultimately a, a utopian mindset, right? Like, this all, there's all these various causes that they use, right? Like transhumanism being one of them, but like kind of the green movement and, and sort of the woke gender movement and whatnot to coalesce power, right? To get a lot of people under a banner and to get a lot of people moving in the same direction. And they are fine with uh, ostracizing and, and putting political pressure on the other side of their argument and whatnot. And these these guys who are looking for more global control will use these movements to, to centralize that power and also, yeah, they, they are looking for more of a global government because that are would allow them.
3: Like, are they looking for it in small ways now? Or are they, is there really, Like, this is when it becomes like a conspiracy theory, because is there really a vision for what this is going to look like? Like, I mean, you talk about, there's things like the, oh, what is it? The tri-city? Um, the tri- tri-state city? They're talking about in, in Germany, in uh, yeah. And stuff yeah. and, ma- and making like the Netherlands a city that's connected all over and without borders and like this is part of the re- reason why there's a whole farmer thing um in the ne- in the Netherlands but is it really a vision or is it like political people or people in these organizations taking the chance to um maybe have more say on healthcare or make money through healthcare or things like that, that? which all seem to lead down this road or are they really like, or, or do they see these as steps? That's kind of like underlies
1: it for me. I I think the thing is there's people who have short-term goals there are people who have long-term goals. There are people who have unachievable long-term goals, uh, Mm -hmm. and, and people who have goals that they're actually making their way towards George Soros has been doing all sorts of things for, you know, it seems like a hundred years now. Um, but but I guess t- to sort of s- lock it away from like the conspiracy theory of the super genius who's who's, again, got control of everything. No, God's got control of everything. But what these guys, you know, DeSantis here or Donald Trump or Joe Biden, doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you're on. Things will all work better if we just give them the reins. OK, so what's how do they do different? They'll run our lives for us. Now, I would prefer if somebody were going to do it, that it's DeSantis rather than Biden. But I need the guy who says, yeah, you know what? It's really arrogant to think that I can run everybody's life. I'm actually going to back off and start getting the government off your back. Aaron O'Toole or, or Justin Trudeau, you know, uh, w- what was the difference between them? There, there literally was nothing because they both thought they were the super genius, They both thought they had the omniscience of God that they could run everybody's lives better than we can. And so there's that level of arrogance. The guy in Germany, Klaus Schwab, the guy thinks it. He thinks he knows better than you how you should run your life. And so he's doing it from the best of intentions, but we know where where the best of intentions can can lead us. So where, where this lines up with something some political ends, it would be, hey, God gave the family, God gave the church, God gave the government, and they each have their own realm. And boy, has the government overstepped its. So, you know, where we where we could see common ground with some people is, hey, you know what, we just like them to back off a bit. Um, but with that then brings a the need for us to also step up, because if we're going to say, you know, we'll, we'll take care of uh, the needy, or we'll take care of you know, this, that, or the other thing. Okay. Then that means, um, earning more, uh, donating more. Um, we're taking care of our schools. Shucks. We want to get rid of the public system. It's just a system of indoctrination. Okay. But then what are we going to do next? So.
2: Yeah. We just, uh, continue to be faithful. Continue to be involved locally, attend church, be involved in your church and, uh, keep building when, uh, when the world seeks to destroy, I suppose. Um, yeah, we can go on this all day. <laughs> quite honestly, it's just there's so much fun stuff to talk about. Um,
1: it just like sounded it. a bit power then. It's like, no, no, no. God's got it,
2: and we, no, we yeah. Which, which is, which I, yeah, we're not doing it justice. Which Reverend Woodman does do a great job of uh, putting that into context. That we know how this story ends. God is in control. He, he is victorious at the end of the day. But the reason He chose that title, how in the world did he get here? It's just to explore the, the yeah, whatever, the mass machinations of, of mankind and, and what they are doing in this day and age. So it's important to know. It's important to be involved, to be aware. But ultimately, yes, crisis, crisis king. Okay, we've been going off for quite a while. Well, John's got a cool little segment to end this off. Top five books to give as gifts yes. for a graduation.
1: Go ahead, John. All right, so um, there are times in people's lives that you have an excuse to give them a book. And so take advantage of those and do so. Um, They're done high school. Um, Some of these gents might not read for the next two years because I know I felt like that when I uh, got out of university. So this might might be waiting on their um, shelf for a little bit, but if you give it a bit of a plug, if you explain to them why they should read the book, um, it's going to be much more likely that they will pick it up and, and take a look. So I got five suggestions here. Uh, the first is Randy Alcorn's The Grace and Truth Paradox. And the reason that I love this is, first off, you know, a small book. It's it's definitely accessible. He's a storyteller, so everything is done with some kind of anecdote. But essentially what he's, he's asking us to imagine is, what if you, you came to church and— they read the Ten Commandments, and that was it. So you, you, can, you come in, you've been told the truth, you're a, a wicked sinner, and we're done. Yeah, you got the truth, but you didn't get the grace. And so you're just left there, and, and you're left helpless. So the church, conservative churches like ours that are standing up for the truth can sometimes err where we deliver just the one. We just deliver truth, and we have not delivered grace. And there's a sort of grace, um, it's not exactly grace, but somebody can deliver grace that minimizes the offense of sin. So we'll be very gracious towards homosexuality. Yeah, by not actually telling people that it's sinful and that they need to repent. Well, now you've done it without truth. And um, that's not going to set them up very well before God. So the grace and truth paradox. uh brilliant book alcorn tells a story about how his church got uh, um protested by homosexual activists and they met them with coffee and donuts wonderful grace and truth um for anybody who is trying to figure out what to do after university just do something by kevin deyoung i've given this to at least half dozen people and and everybody has loved it everybody's been impacted by it i was massively impacted by it it's just you want to know what God wants you to do, and how do you figure that out? Uh, Kevin Young is basically saying, in short, um, well, don't don't seek sinful things. Ask people what your talents are, and then it's not you. You don't have to make sure that you pick the perfect right thing. Maybe you're going to do a few things, um, but just do something. Don't sit on your butt hoping to be pick make the perfect choice. Just get out there and start doing something. Very encouraging, very challenging, uh, very much needed for a lot of people. Uh, the the uh, newest version of this book doesn't look like it, but it's Proverbs by Jay Adams. It's a commentary. Um, you don't normally read a commentary front to back. Uh, this is It's called the Christian Counselor's Commentary on Proverbs. It's not just for Christian counselors. It has the entire book of Proverbs in the top of the page and then it has um notes in the bottom and i use this for our family devotions i've used this for my own family devotions is brilliant because as my kids are finishing off their plates i can just quickly uh get you know three verses worth of insight from adam's and then i can teach my kids what what the text actually means uh so you know proverbs is something where you should probably only be reading two or three verses at a time if you're if you're going to get it so it's a great standalone to just uh, use as maybe a devotional um, and it also works wonder, wonderfully with families another another commentary that works uh, wonderfully is a devotional i i literally did read this front to back again contains the whole book of john rc Spruel's commentary on john um Sproul is brilliant this is wonderful would, would make for a wonderful personal devotion. Um, you will not find a more readable commentary. Uh, I've given this one to a bunch of people and, um, didn't get quite the same reaction as the Kevin DeYoung book, but it's a little bit bigger. Uh, Um, and to, to finish it off, Andy Wilson's Death by Living. Uh, I, I really appreciated the most, this book when I had, uh, just busy times in my life you leave university you leave maybe high school you, you get married you thought life was busy with sports and with uh, homework assignments and with all of that and then suddenly you find out that your kid won't sleep um, you got spit up on your shirt and and you didn't notice till you got to work uh you're, you're bleary-eyed whatever you're just wondering come on is isn't like when do I actually get to rest and what Wilson, Writes here is um, life is meant to be spent. Uh, It it, it was a strangely encouraging book because it was like, yeah, you go to bed exhausted, and then eventually you die, and that's that's what God is thinking. (laughs) Spend your life, go do things, and and work hard. Don't burn out. You know there is there is a border point, right? But it was encouraging to me because I'm exhausted, and just to read. Yeah, it's kind of the way it is. That's just the way it's supposed to be. Parents, parenting's hard. uh it, it, It's a wonderful book, and and the guy writes like a poet, and I mean that in the good sense. So great book, Death by Living by Andy Wilson.
2: Okay, very good. That sounds interesting. I I kind of want to pick up that last one honestly. So, yeah, uh, sounds like a good one. We'll link them below so people can check them out. Uh, they it's interested and uh, yeah, also I would recommend that Kevin Young book. I read that a few years back, and um. Yeah, just kind of confirm from you. Like, just go out and do stuff, man. Like uh you're not gonna know it all beforehand. Just try it and what's the worst that can happen? So otherwise you wouldn't have gotten into doors. Yeah, yes.
3: Yeah, yes. Good old psycho. And would you guys have done real talk? Yeah, Probably not. Well, right? No. No. Nope. That's a little <laughs> bit more of a passion project project than uh selling the ugliest doors in the world. But yeah. <laughs> but, just- yeah, you just I don't know. We we just did it. We weren't trying to be
2: perfectionists, obviously. People still listen to this, which is awesome. But uh it's nowhere near perfect. Awesome. Or tried. So uh people seem to appreciate it. So we're gonna awesome. keep doing it and try to get better every time. Awesome. Okay, well that wraps it up for Real Talk Roundup number five. Thanks, John and Ty, for for joining. And That's uh it. we'll catch you next time, folks, on, on Real Talk. Till then, ciao.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtfleur, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamaga. So we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll catch you next time.